That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You have no idea how much pain I have felt in my body. I feel like I could die. My own mom. Week two of the Lori Vallow Daybell trial has wrapped up, and what a week it has been. From a chilling jailhouse call with the doomsday cult mom to wild admissions, we break down some of the major moments. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law & Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. I have covered a lot of stories at Law and & Crime, and if there's one thing I can tell you throughout all of them, it is that you have to stay safe, and that is where palm pepper spray can really help. This is a discreet but powerful personal defense tool. Palm pepper spray shoots up to 12 feet using the strongest legal formula of pepper spray. It is super safe. It is easy to use. It is ready to fire. All you got to do is just point and spray. The best part, we got a promo code for you. You can save 10% by using code LAWCRIME10 at palmpepperspray.com, and always remember to call 911 if you see somebody in trouble. Well, week two of the Lori Vallow Daybell trial has wrapped up, and if you think about what this jury has heard, a jury that by all accounts really hadn't known about any of these details beforehand, you have to wonder, what are they thinking right now? Now, of course, the question is, has the prosecution presented enough ev evidence as of right now to convict Lori Vallow Daybell? That's going to be up to the jury to ultimately decide. A little quick background before we get into this. Remember, this is the story of the 49-year-old doomsday mother on trial for first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder charges in connection with the deaths of her children, 7-year-old J.J. Vallow and 16-year-old Tylee Ryan. Their bodies found on the property of her current husband, Chad Daybell. He actually faces similar charges. He's going to be tried separately at a later date. But Lori Vallow Daybell's trouble really doesn't end there because she is also charged with conspiracy to commit murder in the death of Chad's now deceased wife, Tammy Daybell. You see, originally, Tammy's death was thought to be from natural causes, that she died in her sleep. But when the kids' bodies were found and her body was exhumed, authorities realized something else was going on here. And prosecutors explained that she actually died from asphyxiation at the hands of another. So as I said on our week one recap, the jury heard a lot, and the same goes for week two. Week one ended with the testimony of Zulema Pastenis. This is the widow of Lori Vallow's deceased brother, Alex Cox, a man whom prosecutors claim was part of the plot to kill these victims. In fact, I think the evidence would suggest he maybe have been the person to actually carry out the murders. Well, if you recall, Zulema testified that Lori told her JJ was going to have a short life. This is before he's killed that Lori insinuated Tammy Daybell died because she and Chad received instructions on how to cast demons out. 
Zulema said that Alex told her he was afraid he was going to be Lori and Chad's fall guy. She even said on the night someone tried to shoot Tammy Daybell. Yeah, someone tried to shoot Tammy Daybell. She survived. Zulema says that she overheard an angry Lori on the phone saying, idiot can't do anything right by himself, maybe in reference to Alex Cox. On cross-examination, the defense's angle was to push on her credibility. Is she really somebody you can believe because she's got some wild beliefs and perceptions as well? Now, at the beginning of this week, week two, the defense questioned her about the day her husband, Alex Cox, died. The fact that I went to work early on December 12th and Alex was fine. And when I came home, Alex was laying on the floor of my bathroom, dead. And then the paramedics came and they started working on him. And then they took him to the hospital, to the emergency room. And they worked on him for about an hour. And they brought me back into the room where he was connected to machines and they were doing CPR on him. And then after many efforts to revive him, I had to give the okay to have the machines turned off. That is very traumatic, sir. Right, and I, and I understand that, and I'm not trying to be callous or anything. And I said, other than the death of Alex Cox, was there anything else that was traumatic during that time? That's, that's all I was getting at. Was there anything traumatic that happened to you between uh, your wedding and your... and? And when Alex passed away? Now that I can recall. Okay. Now, Alex Cox is just one of the deaths in this case. He died from seemingly natural causes, blood clots, although the timing of that's a bit strange. And one thing we haven't really touched on is how quickly all of these people related in this case died. So Charles Valla was the first to die on July 11th, 2019. Just two months later, J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan go missing in September. Chad Daybell's former wife, Tammy Daybell, died a month after that on October 19th, 2019. And then Alex Cox, two months after that, on December 12th, 2019, he dies. So within five months, five people close to Lori Vallow Daybell died. As I mentioned, Alex Cox's death was determined to be from natural causes, even though his comments seemed to suggest that he was foreshadowing something would happen to him. But the other four people were anything but natural deaths. And I don't know about you, but it seems pretty fishy to me, and I wonder what the jury could be thinking, if all of these deaths have occurred, and for Lori Vallow Daybell not to be involved in any way? Let's talk about one of them. Let's go back to Charles Vallow. So he was the first death in this twisted case, which occurred in Arizona. And he was shot to death by Alex Cox in what was initially determined to be self-defense. The claim was that Charles came at Alex with a bat, hit Alex, and then Alex opened fire. Is that the truth, though? Chandler Police Sergeant Nathan Moffitt actually testified that there was a small laceration on the back of Cox's head, but it wasn't consistent with being hit extremely hard in the back of the head with a baseball bat by an athletic man. 
Moffat also testified that the evidence showed that Charles was on the floor when he was shot. And by the way, the jury in this trial is not going to decide if Lori is guilty of conspiracy to commit murder of Charles Vallow. She is separately charged with that in Arizona. This jury is hearing the Charles Vallow evidence as part of what I believe is a common scheme or plan of Lori and Chad and Alex. That when anyone got in their way, this is what they did. They got rid of them. Anyway, here is firefighter Scott Cowden explaining the day that he responded to the shooting of Charles Vallow. When you responded out on July 11th, where initially did you respond to? Uh, we responded to a residential house for a gunshot wound or gunshot victim. Did you enter the residence when you initially responded? Uh, yes. And when you entered the residence, did you locate the individual that had been shot? Yes. What did you observe regarding that individual? Uh, we were led into the house by a Chandler police officer. They were on scene before us. And uh, when you went into that front door, that entry room is where we found Charles laying on the ground, on the floor, on his back. Uh, and he appeared to be unconscious as you approached him. And when you say Charles, did you learn his last name? Uh, Charles Vallow, we did. Learn, um, my captain on the crew was documenting the call. He would have been communicating with the Chandler officers who were communicating with uh, other individuals on the scene that would be able to supply that information. And you eventually learned his identity as well? Yes. Cowden actually attempted to perform CPR, but there was no luck in saving Charles Vallow. And then we heard from Arizona detective Cassandra Inclon, who investigated Charles' death. As if this case wasn't bizarre enough, we learned some key pieces of information, like how after Charles was killed, Lori claimed she took JJ to Burger King and then took him to school until finally returning back to the house. Now, that timeline of events has also been questioned as well, but just think about that for a second. And there's also no evidence that Lori called 911 after Charles was killed, but apparently she told Alex Cox to call 911 which he didn't do until over 40 minutes after the shooting. And by the way, the evidence also seemed to establish that Lori may have taken Charles' phone with her too that morning. So back to Detective Inclon. She observed Lori to have some questionable behavior after Charles died. Do you recall what Miss Vallow's reaction was? I do. And what was that? She didn't have much of a reaction. Um, when she was informed that uh, Charles was deceased, she had responded that she already knew um, and made statements that she was present uh, when it had happened, which was new information to detectives um, and didn't really appear to have much of a reaction. So Lori seems to be acting as if her husband dying isn't a big deal, or at least it seems that way now. I'll tell you, the defense tried to suggest, and what we've heard in other cases before, is it really fair to judge someone's reactions after a traumatic moment like that? Okay. Well, we did hear in some later testimony that months prior to Charles' death, Lori claimed he was already dead. We'll get to that in a minute. So, after Charles is killed, Lori packs up, her and the kids, they leave Arizona, they move to Idaho. And this is only the bizarre timing of events, as we know that Lori and Chad would eventually get married just less than a month after Chad's former wife, Tammy Daybell, was killed. The timeline of events in this case is wild. 
it really doesn't look good for Lori Vallodavil's case. But some of the biggest testimony from the second week of trial came from Lori's 27-year-old surviving son from a previous relationship, Colby Ryan. And I will tell you, this was some of the most heartbreaking testimony. Maybe I even shouldn't even say testimony, because really, it was this recorded phone call between Colby and his mother, Lori, while she was locked up in jail. Listen to him confront his mother about the death of his siblings. So here, Lori be indignant, you know, not giving him the answers, eluding these weird religious connotations. And from a legal point of view, if she felt justified, why not come clean and tell the truth about what happened? An argument could be made that she knows she's in trouble with authorities and she doesn't want to admit anything that would incriminate her. This is called consciousness of guilt. The counter argument is that maybe she didn't know what happened and she was kept in the dark about everything. But I, I mean, is that true? We really haven't seen a lot of evidence of that. That phone call sure makes Lori seem like a terrible mother in person. So on cross-examination of Colby Ryan, her attorney, Jim Archibald, focused on showcasing that Lori was a good person, a good mother, tried to humanize her in a way. Did your mother, Lori, help you and Tylee with thoughts of lack of self-worth? Yes. Was your mother supportive of your decision to go on a mission and then to come home from a mission? Yes. Did she teach you about zombies? No. Did she teach you about casting out evil spirits? No. You never once thought your mom would hurt someone. Is that fair to say? Yes. Did, did you love your mom? Yes. Did she love you? I think so. All right, so moving on to more of what happened in week two of the Lori Vallow Daybell trial. Last week, we heard testimony from Lori's former close friend, Melanie Gibb. And this week, we got to hear the testimony of Lori's other former friend, April Raymond, whom Lori befriended when she and Charles Vallow lived in Hawaii for a period of time. Now, after Lori and Charles moved to Arizona, Lori and Tylee made a sudden visit to Hawaii, where April Raymond learned more about what was going through Lori's mind. Did she talk to you about what was going on in her home in Arizona? Uh, yes, she said that a lot had changed. Um, 
she said that her and Charles were going to be getting divorced, that Charles had had an affair. And then the conversation changed to where Charles wasn't Charles, that Charles was a demon named Ned Snyder. And the conversation just kind of evolved from there. Okay. So there's a lot in that answer, so let me make sure I understand. Um, you had a conversation that they were getting separated or they were divorcing? Initially, yes. Okay. Who Now, who was visiting with Lori Vallow when she was at your home at this time? Tylee was with okay. her. Where was JJ? JJ was with Charles, was my understanding. Okay. And um, did the defendant say why she didn't bring JJ? Uh, she said that she was done with JJ and that Charles and his sister Kay would need to figure it out. Um, and what did you understand that meant done with JJ meant? Taken into the context of she's going through a divorce, I took it to mean that if they went through a divorce that Tylee would go with Lori and uh, Charles would take on the responsibility of JJ exclusively was my understanding. Okay. Um, and during this, you also mentioned that um, she talked about... Um, that Charles was no longer Charles. Yes. All right. Um, what did she say about that? In terms of... When she said Charles was no longer Charles, how was that connected to her talking about so, separating from Charles? Sure. Um, so she had said that Charles was already dead and that there was a demon living inside him and kind of using his body as a host. Um, and that the demon's name was Ned Snyder. Did you follow up on that? Um, did she give you any sort of evidence of this? Um, when I asked, how do you know that it's not Charles, she said, because he's shorter. First of all, if you're shorter, you're a demon. I got to say, I'm a bit insulted by that. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. But more importantly, Lori was done with JJ. Charles was a demon named Ned Snyder. Again, another friend of Lori's testifying about her wild beliefs about demons and zombies. Raymond would also testify that Lori tried to actually recruit her to a religious cult and that she would leave her family. Look, this is all important for the prosecution because they're saying that these religious beliefs provided Lori the justification to murder. And according to April, Lori said that Charles Vallow was already dead. And this was five months before Charles was shot and killed by Lori's brother. So the talk about demons, zombies, Lori's beliefs, it's a recurring theme in this trial. The odd incriminating statements, the behaviors of Lori Vallow-Daybell. All of this could ultimately be her downfall. Could a jury ultimately convict her based on the statements or the actions of her? Sure. But is it enough to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that she murdered the kids or conspired to kill Tammy? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Maybe the jury is looking for some cold, hard evidence. This is a circumstantial evidence case. That brings me to Rexburg Police Department Detective Chuck Consatus, who took the stand in week two. He testified about a Venmo payment being sent from Tylee Ryan's phone after she went missing. What is significant about this document that aided your investigation? Well, we uh, learned that uh, Tylee's Venmo account was used uh, and an IP address associated with, with it was, uh, was documented, so we followed up on that and uh, we learned that the IP address was um, through the Windstream Communications and when we contacted them, they say that yes, they are in charge of issuing IP addresses through their communications company and uh, the IP address specifically was issued to the residents in uh, airport in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. and. Why was that important for you to know? Well, on October 10th of 2019, this, the, the $100 Venmo transaction was made, and we know through flight records that Lori accompanied her niece, Melanie Boudreaux-Pulowski, from Phoenix to Kansas City, Missouri, to visit friends, and the, uh, we transaction was made through using Tylee's phone from the information we had. Does this document show those transactions? It does. Can you uh, go to that page? What does this, what does this document show? These are uh, recorded uh, Venmo transactions to uh, Tylee Ryan's account made from that IP address that you were discussing? Yes, on 1010, the third row down, it shows $100 sent to Kobe Ryan with the message, we love you. And there's the IP address there that is the same IP address that we were able to validate from the Kansas City, Missouri resident. So a payment was made from Tylee Ryan's phone on October 10th, 2019, which is about a month after she went missing. And the money was sent to Lori's other son, Colby Ryan. Was this Lori just trying to make it seem that Tylee was alive? Well, forensic accountant Michael Douglas took the stand next and testified about some questionable payments from Tylee Ryan after her death. And you have mentioned this, but what date were Chad and Lori married? November 5th of 19. And can you tell me how many payments were received into Lori Vallow's Compass account on behalf of Tylee Ryan, Ryan after her death? Four. And what was the amount of the Social Security payment for each month that was received for Tylee Ryan? So in October, October through December of 19, she received 1,859 a month. In January of 20, she received 1,888. And what's the total amount of those payments? The total being $7,465. Okay. And um, how many monthly payments were there for JJ? Four. 
And what was the Social Security payment for each month that was received for J.J. Vallow? October through December of 19, it was 19.51 a month. And January of 20, it was 19.82. And what was the total amount of those payments? The 78.35. And how many payments did Lori receive for caregiver benefits? She received four. And what was the total amount of those payments? The total amount would be the 3902 and the 3343.05. Okay. How many payments did Lori receive after she was married to Chad? Two. And what is the total amount of those payments? The 3343.05. And what is the total amount of the Social Security payments that Lori Vallow received from October 19, or excuse me, October 2019 until February 2020? That would be the $22,545.05. And that is believed to be after the deaths of J.J. and Tylee, correct? Yes, ma'am. And is that on that document? It is. So if this was Lori, she seemingly was sending money from her dead daughter's bank account into hers. And that's the main allegation from the prosecution, that Lori conspired to kill the kids and ultimately did kill them, large part, to receive the benefits of Social Security payments. This week, it was also shown that Chad's spending habits changed after Tammy Daybell's death since he was the beneficiary of his wife's life insurance policy, sending money to his children, a family trip. You get the idea. Now, not to mention that the jury heard about an email this week that was sent by Chad to a realtor in Hawaii after the kids disappeared, after Tammy dies, after he and Lori get married. The email says, quote, we are interested in seeing this property. Would the owners be interested in leasing this property to a couple with no pets or children? I've said it before. There's been no smoking gun in this case. There's no forensic, not a ton of forensic evidence tying Lori Vallow-Daybell to committing any of these murders. No recorded conversations talking about killing anyone. But all of this about the money transfers and the comments and the timeline, it's all so questionable. Moving on. About a month after Charles Vallow's death, David Warwick, Melanie Gibbs' husband, remember she used to be Lori's best friend, testified against her, basically said Lori asked her to lie to the police about J.J.'s whereabouts. Anyway, David Warwick visited Lori and Chad in Idaho in late September, around the time that J.J. was last seen. And when he visited Lori and Chad in Idaho, he asked Chad about his wife, Tammy Daybell. During the time she saw Chad, was, um, what was his interactions like with Lori Vallow? Um, they were, uh, very loving with one another and, and affectionate. Okay. Now, at this time, were you aware that he was still married to Tammy Daybell? Yes. Okay. Did that, the fact that he was married come up at all? Yes. All right. How did that happen? Uh, I, I asked him about the, I just asked him how his marriage was with the Tammy and if she was a good wife and. He said he had no complaints that she was a good wife, but he said her time was uh, her time was coming up, and that her her and uh, him and Lori were gonna you know go do the things that they had committed to do for God. Okay. Um, so when you say her time was coming up, your Tammy's time yeah, was. He said he had a he had a dream that she was gonna pass away before he was fifty, or by the time he was fifty. And so that was Tammy was going to pass away before yeah. Chad was 50? 
Yeah, by the time Chad was 50. Okay. The dream was like, I think he said, three years previous. Okay. And that, um, uh, and then he said he and Lori were going to be together. What did that mean? That they were going to get married and, um, and they were going to go do their calling. So about a month after this conversation that David Warwick had with Chad Daybell, Tammy Daybell dies. Chad was right about Tammy, but as we now know, Tammy's death is no longer ruled a death by natural causes. She was killed by asphyxiation at the hands of another. And remember, for Lori, she's charged with conspiracy to commit the murder of Tammy. As long as the jury finds that there was an agreement to kill Tammy, if any of those co-conspirators, meaning Chad, takes an overt step in furtherance of that plot, then they all could be found guilty of conspiracy. So again, just another instance where the behavior and conversations of Lori and Chad are highly questionable relating to the timeline of all these deaths. Now, something that we're starting to see in this trial that is similar to the Alec Murdoch trial is the collection of lies, right? So Sidney Shank took the stand. This was JJ's babysitter. Listen to what Lori told her about Charles's death when meeting her for the job. While you were there, uh, did she say anything about her husband, Charles Vallow? She did. She had mentioned that he had just recently died of a heart attack and that they, that JJ was kind of having a hard time like understanding what had happened. Now, maybe she lied about her husband being shot and killed so she wouldn't scare away the potential babysitter. Maybe. But back to David Warwick. Listen to what Lori told him when he visited her in Chad in Idaho. While you were, when you got there, did you see Tylee Ryan there at all? No. Did you ever see Tylee Ryan that weekend? No, I never did. Okay. Never did see her. I never did meet her. Okay. Were you told where she was? I was told that she was uh, attending Rexburg, Idaho College, and she wanted to be independent. Okay. Um, and who told you that? I, I think it was Melanie told uh if I remember, I merely asked Lori in front of me. So David met JJ that day, but not Tylee Ryan. And this is about two weeks since the last time Tylee was seen alive. And by the way, we learned that Lori was lying about Tylee going to college when a detective testified as well. Um, did you look into whether Tylee Ryan ever enrolled at BYU? Yes. Did you find any evidence to find that Tylee Ryan in, enrolled at BYU? No. Also, I should mention that JJ's elementary school received an email from Lori in September 2019. The jury learned about that this week. And this is, again, when we think the kids were killed. And in this email, she said that JJ was being taken out of the school, that he was being sent to Louisiana to be with his grandparents, that he would be homeschooled. And then the school never heard anything from Lori again. And we know that is not true. That is not what happened to JJ. Okay, he wasn't sent anywhere. Oh, and Lori also apparently told law enforcement at one point that Chad was just her brother's friend. I mean, we know that he was a lot more than just Alex Cox's friend. So basically what I'm trying to say is Lori allegedly lied to multiple people, including the police. And as I mentioned, they asked her friend Melanie Gibb to lie about JJ's whereabouts. The question is why? If she is innocent and didn't know anything that was going on here, why would she lie? Why would she ask someone to lie? The prosecution is continuing to build a circumstantial evidence case against Lori Vallow Daybell. Some of this week's evidence seems pretty strong in my mind. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean that there is enough to convict her beyond a reasonable doubt. In the end, it's going to be up to a jury to decide that, but we still have a lot of case left. That's all we have for you here on Sidebar, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Weber. I'll speak to you next time. Thank you.